Welcome to the Think Yourself Healthy podcast, where we challenge you to think differently about your approach to health and wellness. My name is Heather Duranja, and I'm excited to be here with you to take you on the journey from surviving to thriving. Hey, everybody. On today's episode of Think Yourself Healthy, we have a very special guest, Christina Furia. Christina spent the first 10 years of her career as a mental health counselor and psychotherapist before realizing her true calling as a transformational teacher and coach. With the master's degree in clinical and counseling psychology, as well as a certification in coaching, Christina applies her diverse knowledge set of the mind, body, and spirit to empower those she works with to lean into their true purpose to be free of the confines of a harsh inner critic, and to experience each day as a unique gift. Thank you so much, Christina, for being with us. And what a beautiful um, introduction and story. I'm really curious, you know, um, how you were able to have the courage to step out of the clinical world and pursue your own mission. Mm. Well, first, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited for this chat. Um, I stepped out of the clinical world because the call to do so was just so strong. If I ignored it, I would have been abandoning the very nature of what it means to live fully. Um, You know, I was at a, a sort of a difficult place in my life. I wasn't super happy. I sort of knew that um, seeing clients one-on-one, clinical hour. I knew that it was feeling restrictive and constrictive to me, but I kind of didn't know exactly what else I would do uh, until I got kind of hit over the head with the knowledge that I was actually not really doing the exact right work. It was meant to be helping people, but on a much larger scale and, you know, teaching them sort of different concepts. You know, what I teach now is about transformation. It has uh, elements of spirituality. It has uh, much more of a holistic aspect, much more of a holistic approach, and ultimately is much more aligned with with who I am and, and what my true purpose is. Right. I love that. I think it's important to acknowledge your courage to be able to do that. I know for myself, I spent seven years in an educational system um, in order to become a you know, registered dietitian, and I started working in the clinical world, and I was mandated to follow certain practices that I didn't feel were in alignment with allowing individuals to truly reach their fullest potential and start living their best lives. So it was hard for the ego to let go of the credentialing and the work and you know that I had invested into that. It was more of an attachment thing, like attachment to the pain and suffering of the seven years. But um, ultimately I knew that if I continued in the clinical world, not only would I be doing um, my clients and patients a disservice, but also myself because I just wasn't truly stepping into my calling. And it was scary. It was seriously a scary thing to, um, you know, step up and make that choice. It, it also felt very alienating from my peers because this isn't, you know, at the time that wasn't something common. Most, most uh, dietitians weren't stepping out into private practice and, uh, you know, encouraging all of these crazy practices like eating fat and, um, you know, things of that nature. So I commend you. And I think there's a lot of people out there who are in the same boat. They're, you know, going to their nine to five and just truly feeling unfulfilled. So it's important to share our stories to encourage others to uh, step into their own. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for saying that. You know, I mean, looking back now, I completely agree with with everything you just said. You know, the feeling of fear and uh, particularly the fear of alienation from the people who I had come to know and respect and had respect from. It's like, am I going to survive this? Am I going to survive them judging me? Right. But somehow you just do, you know, it's like you start moving and it's like, okay, I think I'm still all right. And then you move forward a little bit more. It's like, okay, I think I'm still good here. I'm still okay. And then you just keep going and going and going and people may be judging, you know, they're thinking whatever they're thinking, but I think you start learning that it's not your problem. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I think in the process also, when you find yourself and you kind of fall into that groove of flow and alignment, that your people find you as well. And you find the support that you're seeking, um, you know, from trying to stay in these professional alienated groups, that kind of thing. So anyway, off tangent, I want to talk to you about emotions. Emotions are scary. Emotions are exciting. And I feel emotions are the things that we suppress the most that are keeping us really stuck. And um, most of us just don't know what it means. So, you know, what does it mean to vibe? What does frequency mean? How does emotion play into all of that? Yeah. So emotion is energy in motion. And what that means is that when you get deep down into the cells of our beings, down to, you know, the molecular level, at the most basic of levels, what we are made of is energy. And actually what everything around us is made of is energy. We live in an energetic universe. And so emotion is energy in motion. And when we fail to allow ourselves to fully feel our emotions, what happens is that energy gets kind of clogged up. It gets stuck. And that causes symptoms, whether it be mental health symptoms or physical health symptoms, or oftentimes both. Mm. It creates a dysfunction of being. And so really, the, in my view, the best way to be healthy as it relates to mind, body, and spirit is to allow yourselves to fully feel your feelings when something arises, allowing yourself to really experience it, not to lean so far into it that you're getting lost in it, you're lost in your misery, but to feel it in, in an efficient and effective manner so that you can then release it so that the energy stays clear and you can keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. Okay. I love that explanation and I feel so in aligned with it as a, you know, a practitioner who specializes in chronic health disease, specifically autoimmune, um, there's just no way to take out that component of how emotion is playing a role with autoimmune disease and people feeling sick and mentally sick, you know, contributing to anxiety, depression, exacerbating these autoimmune diseases. Um, and I know for, you know, myself, it was a weird thing to start stepping into and saying, wait, we, we got to start dealing with energy before we can actually start dealing with the kinds of foods you should be putting in your mouth because ultimately the energy is kind of the driver behind the choices, you know, when it comes to that emotional eating. So I'm a huge um, advocate for energy work. I believe it is the foundational piece. At what age do you feel most human beings start... Um, having suppression? When are we first introduced to learning how to suppress, suppress our emotions? How does that come about? Mm. Well, you know, so the zero through 12 is when the vast majority of our conditioning occurs. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, until we hit seven, normally we're living a, a pretty um, blissfully ignorant kind of existence. And the best in the best way imaginable, right? Like, you know, we're, we're living in our imaginations, we're having fun, we're playing, we're carefree, you know, unless you have some very extreme circumstance. Um, that's generally how a, a little one is going to be existing in the world. I think around seven or eight, we sort of come out of that, our, our brains come out of theta at that point, you know, uh, before, before seven, up until seven, I should say, the brain is in theta, which means it's super, super malleable. From seven to 12, we kind of move out of that phase, okay. which means that we start, you know, becoming, I think, even more um, susceptible to, the, to what we're, what's being modeled for us. And somewhere in there, I think, is when it starts being, oh, well, okay, maybe I shouldn't cry right now. Or it seems like, you know, my mom doesn't like it if, you know, I get upset. Or, or, you know, if I, you know, express myself in too big of a way. So I think that that's kind of the start of it, you know, somewhere between seven and 12. And then it's all kind of downhill from there where, you know, it's like by high school, certainly, you know, we're being taught all kinds of things, all sorts of messaging mm -hmm. about, um, you know, how we should be and what we should not be, what we should not be expressing. Mm -hmm. I know for myself as a child, I was 
quote unquote, overly emotional. And I cried all the time. It was the only way I knew how to express myself. I grew up in a very dysfunctional, um, you know, situation early on. And so I was a crier and everyone always, you know, commented on my crying. And then as I grew into an adulthood and when I got into my early 30s and um, hit a very transformational period in my life, I went through a divorce, had just old, like just major, major changes. I wasn't able to express myself emotionally. I literally suppressed all of the sadness, the anger, the frustration, the hopelessness, the helplessness, all of it that I was feeling. And ultimately, it ended up manifesting pretty significantly in my body. And in 2012, I ended up getting a um, cervical cancer diagnosis. And at that time, I was super pissed because I was like, wait a minute, I've got the nutrition down. I have the exercise down. Like, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand how this has happened to me. And then as I started reflecting and kind of digging deeper into it, I recognized that um, there were a lot of pieces that I wasn't really taking care of. And the emotional part was one of them. I wasn't allowing myself to express. I wasn't getting appropriate sleep. I was, you know, overworking. And ultimately, this helped to manifest um, this disease to actually, you know, present itself. And um, so that was a big game changer for me in understanding how energy truly did impact our physical health and then being able to relate it to my own circumstances of understanding why I suppressed it because it didn't feel safe. You know, I had to really stand into that masculine energy and um, suppress all of that, those feelings and the intuition and all of those things. So I feel it's important that we really um, talk about this because this isn't something we hear in our typical doctor appointment when we're talking about our symptoms, right? So, um, so in your practice, what kind of, you know, how do you encourage individuals to start learning how to manage, co-regulate, express emotion? Hmm. Well, I think, you know, it really depends on the individual and sort of what, how they're showing up initially. However, there are certain things that I encourage all, all humans to do regardless. And, you know, the first and foremost one is to start being an observer of yourself, you know, without awareness of who we're being throughout the day, what we're thinking, what we're feeling. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to even start talking about self-regulation. You know, it's like, because we don't really know, we're just kind of on autopilot. We're, we're floundering. We're just trying to get by. Right. And when something difficult shows up, we just do whatever. We do whatever we've been conditioned to do. And it's like, I don't know, I guess I'll make it through somehow. So getting into the driver's seat by coming out of autopilot and really taking the wheel of your life saying, okay, so this is the thing that I do in this moment, usually, what would I rather do? Mm -hmm. And then you can start kind of really um, intervening in new ways with yourself and, and making a new choice. Right. I feel like for the average listener who hasn't really dabbled into energy work and kind of personal development, but they're feeling really stuck. They're like sick of their shit, but they don't know where to begin. And we hear it over and over and over. It starts with awareness. What does that mean? And how do we start? Like, how, how does one start to become aware? That's frightening. You know what I mean? We're taught to be so distracted and so consumed with so much that we don't really know how to take a step back and actually observe. So how does, how does one get started? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it requires desire. It requires a good enough amount of desire that you are willing. Shit. Yeah, totally. You have to be so sick of your own bullshit that you're willing to come out of your comfort zone on a continual basis. And, you know, I'm, for me, when I really started practicing, you know, purposeful awareness, I was all about visual cues. I set a background on my phone. Have you been paying attention to your thoughts? I had an alarm that went off on my phone every few hours. My refrigerator had a note on it. Just anything that I can do to remind myself, to really jog my memory. Notice who you're being here, Christina. That was major for me. But as I got a little bit more skilled, I came to realize that the easiest way to 
to really tune in more and at the, at the right moments was to just realize that when I was feeling specifically or particularly not good, to turn up the volume of awareness in those moments. Because those are the moments where we need that intervention, that self-intervention. Mm -hmm. So if you notice you're not feeling good, start paying more attention to your thoughts. Okay, so I'm not feeling great. My energy feels contracted. I, I have a low mood and maybe I'm anxious. Maybe I'm feeling some constriction in my chest, whatever it is. What have I been thinking about? What has just occurred in recent, in recent moments? Did I just see something upsetting on the news, on social media? Did I just have a conversation that didn't work for me? Did I just have a conversation with myself that didn't work for me? And then from there, you really come to have a much higher level of awareness mm -hmm. of what goes wrong when you start feeling lousy. Right. I love that. I think that's a beautiful tip. So is this the same way we start to move through difficult situations? Like when we encounter something that um, in the moment might feel like, oh my gosh, how am I going to recover from this? Where do I go from here? Do, is, that the, is awareness the same place that we have to start to move through the emotional component of that? How do we work through those difficult situations with ease? Yeah, so, you know, awareness is a critical part of how we move through our day. But when a difficult moment comes up, I think the best way to really facilitate feeling it fully is actually at that point to really ground in the body. So, you know, I'm not saying abandon. What does that mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm not saying abandon awareness in that moment. You want to maintain the awareness so that you realize, okay, I'm feeling especially not good right now. Okay. But then it's kind of, so grounding in the body means coming out of the head. Being in your thoughts actually becomes less important in the moment that you realize you're feeling lousy. And so what you want to do is through breathing, through movement, um, through, it could be even so far as meditation, but it doesn't have to be that like structured. You just want to come out of your thoughts and focus on what's going on with your body. So noticing where there's unpleasant body sensations, like for me, for example, my chest always gets constricted. I always get nauseated. So those are two things. As soon as I notice them, I'm like, okay, what's going on? I'll take a 30 or 60 seconds max to notice what's going on in my head or what's been happening that could be contributing. But then I turn my awareness to some slow, purposeful breaths to really help to facilitate the emotional release. Because actually, an emotional experience, really it's a function of the body. And if we don't use our thoughts to re-trigger uh, re the emotion, that emotional experience will be completed in just 90 seconds. Mm -hmm. So if you come out of your head and stop the cycle of thoughts and just allow for 90 seconds of really being in the body as best as you can, you will have successfully facilitated that emotion mm -hmm. passing. I'm not saying it won't come up and you won't have to do the same process again, but for that moment, you will have successfully facilitated that emotion and you will have freed up your energy. Oh, fabulous. All right, now I've got a, a serious question here. What about the person who really struggles with learning how to access their breath, control their breath, manipulate their breath? Um, I know for myself, I didn't realize how disconnected I was from my breath until a couple of years ago. I super stressed out, called up a girlfriend. I'm like, hey, let's go to the beach. I need to de-stress. We meet up, we're sitting there, we're looking out at the water, and next thing I know, she's punching me in my arm, and I'm like, what is going on? She says, are you going to take a breath? I was like, I didn't even realize I was sitting there staring out at the ocean, mentally trying to be at ease, but my fists were clenched, my shoulders were up by my ears, my chest was tight. I had no idea. Zero idea. So yeah, yeah. How I get started? That's so funny. I'm thinking I'm having a flash to this crappy apartment I used to live in. I was like 21 or 22. It was my first place by myself. And I'm like, I'm going to learn how to meditate. And I had this like one page thing. And it was like, okay, so what you need to do is focus on your breath and just sit in a, a comfortable position. And this is how you start the process of, of meditation. And what happened for me is that as I focused on my breath, I became deeply, deeply anxious. It was like, 
turning my awareness to my body and to my breathing in that way actually exacerbated my anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so for a long time, I was like, okay, so I do not meditate and I do not do breath work. And I am fine with that because I like hated it. Right. But <laughs> then I returned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I returned to it later in my, you know, later twenties, I really still sort of had the same similar struggle. Um, but I had more of a desire by that point because I really had read and learned enough to know that there's something to this. Mm -hmm. And so what I did and what I recommend for folks is to really, until you can get there on your own, allow yourself to like hold on to someone else's belief and understanding of how impactful it is. Because that's really what I did for a while. It was like, I, I have these few people who I trust, who I know, who I believe, and they are saying this is the path. So I'm gonna hold on to their belief and keep going with this until I get there. I, and little by little by little I did. That is such a like jewel of a tip because I know for myself, I was in complete, re complete resistance to the restorative practices, the things that were gonna actually serve my parasympathetic nervous system and get me out of that central nervous system response. And for years, I resisted, resisted, dabbled, tried, defeated myself before I would get started. And um, I think that if I would have had the thought, everyone's telling me to stick with this, there must be something to it. And just really holding on to that, I probably could have gotten out of resistance phase a lot sooner, right? Mm. That's beautiful. So gosh, thank you so much for sharing that. What a great, what a great tip. Yeah. Ugh. Beautiful. I know for myself that all of the places I had the most resistance were the places that literally set me free. And so I try not to judge, you know, I try to not judge myself and say, why didn't you do this sooner? But it's like, okay, I get it. I get it. And it's so worth it. And I'm so proud of myself for being able to muscle through the challenges and stick with it. Yeah, absolutely. And just like a, a note there about resistance, you know, oftentimes we do resist the things that will be best for us. And that's mainly because our subconscious minds love what's familiar. We love what is safe and familiar, particularly the subconscious does because the subconscious is, um, you know, from a uh, sort of like survival perspective. It's the thing that is meant to try and really keep us safe. And so when there's something that is out of the ordinary, something that's unfamiliar, the subconscious mind tries to draw us back. Be like, no, no, you don't want to do that. You don't need to do that. Even if it's super healthy, even if it's super valuable. So I think that piece of knowledge is helpful too, because we get pulled back all the time when we're coming out of our comfort zone. So that knowledge, at least for me, has ended up being um, a knowledge of power kind of a thing. Yeah, that's great. I love that. So tell me, as a practitioner, a super busy business owner, you know, you've got all kinds of stuff going on. What are your non-negotiables? What are the things that really are the glue that allow you to kind of, you know, hold the ship together and allow it to sail with ease? My morning routine is a non-negotiable. It doesn't always look the exact same way, but it is essential that my day starts off exactly the way I want and need it to, which some days it involves 10 minutes of meditation. Some, some days I feel more called to just read for 10 or 15 minutes. Other days I write. I find writing to be probably the most impactful because I'm writing my affirmations. I'm writing out my, my vision, um, my future vision. But 10 to 20 minutes every single morning of me time is like my absolute 100% non-negotiable. And beyond that, I think just in general, I refuse to be so busy that I don't have other times in most days where I also can just spend time on me. I know that's not possible for everybody. It wasn't always possible for me either, but I now have created a life where you know, like after this, I have a couple of more appointments, but then I'm going to go on my roof and I'm going to pull out a book and I'm going to chill. And it's like, that is how I am the best version of me. That is how I become inspired. That is how I uh, get into a place of, an al of alignment so that I can teach. I have a brief interruption to introduce today's podcast sponsor, 
Green Gorilla CBD is the first USDA certified organic hemp CBD brand whose products are all natural, vegan, and gluten-free. Born in Malibu, California, Green Gorilla's products, ranging from balms to capsules to my favorite gummies, promote an optimally healthy and holistic lifestyle. Every product is rigorously lab tested to ensure each batch is free of common toxins and pesticides found in other CBD products. To explore the only truly clean CBD supplier, head over to ilovegreengorilla.com and use Heather20 for 20% off your next order. Make sure to check them out. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. It's important to note that, you know, I know for myself, and you can probably relate to this, especially when I'm working on a project that I'm extremely passionate about, I'm super excited and I've got all this energy. I do find that I have to draw boundaries for myself to put the lid on it, take a step away, go do something fun. I'm a huge fan of play. I really, I really, really embrace supporting my inner child and allowing her to just kind of be herself and do everything that she wants. And so for me, I know one of my non-negotiables is making sure that I honor that every day and finding some way to just let her out and have fun without any kind of judgment, whether it's, you know, pulling a coloring book out, pulling my roller skates out and going for a roller skate or a bike ride or whatever it might be. But um, that's definitely a non-negotiable for me to help keep that energy in a good flow and not get burnt out. Oh, manifestation. Let's, let's talk about manifestation. We hear so much about it. And for the last multiple years, it's been kind of a trendy thing with like the secret and um, all of that. So I would like to chat with you about what creating manifestation actually looks like, how you do it. Um, Cause I think there's a lot of people out there who have attempted it and it didn't work. And so they're like, mm, I don't know about this. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first thing to really know is, and, and this is important because it, I think helps to kind of like demystify manifestation a little bit. We are always manifesting, you know, we, so our thoughts are, are responsible for so much of what we end up creating in our lives. Because if you think perpetually negative thoughts, you're going to most likely more often than not, you're going to get negative results back. Even if it's just in the form of, you know, random interactions with strangers that have like a nastiness to them, or, you know, just not getting ahead in your career or whatever it is. Where on the other hand, if you think thoughts that are more positive, more expansive, I bet you're going to have a completely different set of experiences. So with that being said, to really purposely or consciously manifest, it requires one, that you get really clear on what you do want. So getting a crystal clear vision for what you know you want. And you know, if you're not able to get 100% crystal clear, you get as clear as you can. Mm -hmm. And then from there, what's re and this is really like the ticket to working with the energy of this, working with the energetics of this, from there you need to give your vision, the thing you're manifesting, attention every single day. You know, it is our attention where we're putting our focus that actually moves the energy. It flows energy towards our manifestation. And that energy, then, you know, it gets more and more potent. The where we are now and the energy of our vision of what we're manifesting, there's a, there's a connectedness between it and it gets more and more strong in its connection, the more we flow attention to it. And then I think the, the, the last part of this, and this is a, a piece that um, people forget about, or they just don't know about perhaps, we still have to take action out in the real world, right? <laughs> we have to still do stuff, you know? We're not gonna just visualize our new, our new career or our partner or whatever and not do anything. We still need to take baby steps towards what we're, what we're um, imagining, towards what we're manifesting. So it's holding the vision of what we're manifesting and then taking baby steps from where we are. And then you kind of forget about the middle. You don't worry too much about the how and all of the steps between or now and where you want to go. Mm -hmm. That's where we let the universe kind of come in and do its thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that's where we find ourselves really being attached to outcomes and not being able to let go of control. And that kind of blocks us from allowing the universe to bring the things into our lives that we're desperately seeking. We're literally standing in the way of that being obtainable. So for the person who's interested in wanting to do manifestation, um, has given it a try, but has um, difficulty with taking the baby steps, what can those baby steps look like to create that consistency and then start seeing some return, our, return on our investment? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like I said, staying really clear on what it is you are calling forth, what it is you are manifesting. That's so important. But then from there, you know, the action steps can be really, really small. You know, like I just gave an example earlier today of if you're looking to manifest a new career, one action step can be just go on Google and do a little research. What credentials are required of somebody who, who has this career? Um, who are some people who are already successful in this realm? You know, little, little tiny things. And part of why it's so important, other than the fact that we still have to do things because it's not just gonna show up at our doorstep, but part of why it's so important is those action steps signal to the energy of the universe that we really mean business. It moves the energy along. We're doing some things. We're not just thinking some things, we're doing some things. So really small steps over time can have really, really big impact. All right, so I've put together my vision board and I have a manifesting bowl full of all of my wishes. Now what? <laughs> well, manifest one thing at a time. People often think that, you know, you can, um, you know, manifest a whole new life and you, you can, mm -hmm. but if you really have one thing that kind of calls to you more than all the rest of the things on the vision board, you want to flow your energy towards the one thing. You know, there's a, a principle in physics that says the system with the least diversity conducts the most energy, meaning Flow your energy to one thing and you're going to get there much faster. You will collapse space and time mm -hmm. by flowing energy towards one specific goal. And that's really, really important. Otherwise, the energy is a little bit more dispersed. Mm -hmm. Not saying you won't still eventually manifest all of the things, mm -hmm. but it's going to take more time. Right. I love that. Work smarter, not harder. Absolutely. Focus on the vision. I love that. So what does it mean for us to practice consciousness? What, you know, there's a lot floating out there right now about consciousness. It's like the new trendy thing. And I want to be conscious. So how do I do it? <laughs> Give me some girl. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. Consciousness has become trendy and consciousness means a bunch of things. And actually, I think to some extent, consciousness probably can't really be defined because it actually, at least for me, it relates to um, the stuff of the universe, this, this intelligence of the universe that we really can't put into, um, into human language, in, in my opinion. However, the way in which it is definable for me, really, it's, a, it's synonymous with awareness. You know, to be conscious means to be aware, to come out of autopilot, and to be awake to life. Who am I being? What is going on around me in the present moment? It's like, that is the most simple way of describing consciousness. Not letting your old conditioning and programming run the show. Because if that's what you're doing, you're barely awake. You know, it's like you're, you're to be a little dramatic, you're like half alive, right? It's like, you're just, you're, you're running on the past. And so when we come out of autopilot and come into the seat of awareness, now we're not bound by the past. It's the present moment that dictates our experiences. And, and with that, you are, are just inherently conscious. So what was the most profound moment for you where you recognized you were being in that state of consciousness and you were shifting the paradigm from your old behaviors into developing new behaviors that were more in alignment with you and who you wanted to be and your business? Do you have a specific memory that where you remember like, oh, this was the moment where it kind of clicked for me? 
I don't necessarily have one moment where it clicked. However, I do have one area of my life where it would become most apparent again and again. And it was, or slash is, my relationship. Because, okay. so, at before I sort of realized I'm not doing the right work, all of this stuff, my brand new marriage was like on the brink of failure. And so as I realized, okay, I'm going to be making a career shift. I'm going to be changing the way I live, the way I go through life. I also was like, well, I guess I should probably try and work on this like six month in marriage. And so that was really the area where I noticed my conditioning and programming most because we had developed so many negative dynamics, which had become a part of my programming. And so when we would interact and it wouldn't go well, I was suddenly acting like a version of me from two or three years ago. And it was just too obvious to not notice. To be like, okay, you need to become present day Christina again. And then it would be, you know, it would be hard because the pull to the familiar, again, to that conditioning, that programming, it's so strong. I was like, well, I, do I even want to be, be the new me? Maybe I do want to be the old me. That feels way easier. But again and again and again, you keep making a new decision, making the new decision, picking the new, the new way. And over time, it, it got much, much, much easier. Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you for sharing that personal moment. I think it's a yeah to be kind of transparent and help others see, you know, um, our difficulties, the places that we have personally struggled and how they either served us or didn't serve us. I think a lot of people can relate to um, certain, you know, incidences and circumstances. So um, when you decided that you were going to shift your practice to this new um, version, is this when you started Instagram? Like did the new, you know, your new frequency, did it all come at once or was it like slow pieces that kind of accumulated? So I attended a conference. It was a three day kind of like deep dive conference on transformational principles, but I was just brought there. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And so on the second day of that conference, that was when I realized, oh my God, you're doing the wrong work. And it was not subtle. It was very much like I got hit over the head with it. And I felt very much like I was just suddenly crumbling. Like the third day of the conference, I quite literally was wearing pajamas. Like I could not get myself together. I was going through it. I was absolutely horrified. So for about six months after that, I was just trying to like recalibrate. Like what do I want? What makes sense? What do I do with this practice I've spent years building. So it took me some time. And then I finally started Your New Frequency about, uh, I think it was like 10 months after that initial like crumble moment. Um, How did you come up with Your New Frequency? So <laughs> I could not decide on what to call my, I guess, like brand for a long time. And I just went back and forth with all different kinds of things. And I'm like, maybe I'll just be Christina Furia 2.0. And my wife was like, mm, I think that's corny because it only really means something to you. And then eventually I just was like, okay, well, what are words that feel aligned with what I'm doing with who I am? And I'm like, okay, well, 2.0, that's like new, it's the new me. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it was like, okay, well, vibration, frequency, energy. And then one day it just like came to me. It was like, your new frequency. Because it's not about me, really. Right. It's about what I want to teach to others. It's like, your new frequency. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I came up with it, I was like, that is it. That is the winner. I love it. I love the frequency component of it. I think it's edgy. And I think it's so aligned with where we're at right now. Um, vibe, you know, vibes kind of like, yeah, but frequency, I really feel like it just speaks to where we're at right now, especially in this 2020. It's just uh, quite the frequency. So to be able to tune yourself into where you want to vibe is such a beautiful, beautiful vision. I love it. I absolutely love it. Thank you. Yeah. I just think you're, you know, you're really cool. You're very transparent. You're real. Um, I think you're relatable. People can really um, attach themselves or see themselves through your work. And 
you give simple guidance on how to get started. And I think that's so important for people because as I mentioned um, before you and I got started with the interview, that there's just such a stigma around therapy and healing and wounds. And I think that majority of society thinks that, you know, trauma is this very dramatic, tragic circumstances. And that if we can't check the boxes for those, you know, catastrophes, then we don't qualify to have hurt and pain and wounds that need healing. So it's important for us to really normalize conversation around what trauma can actually look like. It can be something as simple, you know, I know for myself in my own journey, discovering that at nine months, my mother wasn't able to nurture me as, um, as I needed because she was going through some tragedies in her life and couldn't even take care of herself. And that's where all my abandonment issues, you know, began that led me down the long strain of codependent narcissism, uh, that beautiful waltz that happens. So yeah, I mean, totally. I speak candidly about what I've been through because I think it's really important that for those of us who are now sort of in this position where we are teaching others, people can really easily think that, oh, they're just the folks who've got it figured out. And I'll never be one of those people. But the truth is, I spent my teen years all the way through into my early 30s being practically debilitated by anxiety. And at some point in my latter 20s, depression got thrown into the mix too. I barely knew what it was like to feel good without drugs and alcohol being in the mix. Like, I did not know at all how to do any of the things that I now, if I do say so myself, rock at. I now know how to enjoy life and love life and I feel good most of the time. But I didn't know how to do that three years ago. So it's like, I feel like I have to share that because that's how other people know that they can do it too. Mm -hmm. I just have to share with you really quickly, your energy is so beautiful that it is literally radiating right now and I'm getting goosebumps feeling oh. passionately. You know, when, when you have the ability to state, I rock at what I do, that is such a beautiful moment of being able to stand in your truth and claim your power. Because ultimately, we're doing a disservice not only to ourselves, but to the world when we can't sing our praises and share our gifts. And I know that is something that I truly was frightened of for decades, decades and decades and decades. I was scared to death to show up, to have my own voice, to have a vision, to want to shake things up and step out of the traditional mold. And I know for myself, I've done that in every freaking realm possible. And fortunately, I have a 24-year-old, 19-year-old daughters that now I see the impact of all of the choices that I've made over the last decade specifically, how it's benefiting them. I'm doing the healing work and they are winning for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, it's beautiful. It, it really truly is beautiful. I feel so strongly that it's never too late to start, no matter what age you are, um, if you feel somewhere within your being that something just isn't right. You have to start getting curious and really diving in and asking yourself the questions. What's going on here? You know, what's the possibility? What are the possibilities? Instead of like going to the, oh God, you know, what's wrong with me? It's like, oh, get curious. Let's get curious about it. Yes. And that spark, that little tiny spark of curiosity, if you pursue it long enough, it'll eventually become flames. You know, it's like really remembering that just it only takes a little bit and then consistency and persistence. And over time, transformation does occur. But it's like that's what is required. It's not this it doesn't have to be this one big moment that hopefully it happens to me. It's like, no, it's, it's all about the little moments, the little steps. Mm -hmm. So all the while you've been able to go through this transformation, work on yourself, transform your business, you were also able to um, continue to put energy and effort into the relationship, right? Yes. Impressive. Yeah. Most people typically, when they work on themselves or they're working on their business or they're having challenges in their relationship, they think, I have to pick one. Which one do I pick and let the others go? Right? 
So that's <laughs> fabulous. Which brings me to the question because I am single. Um, I got divorced a little over a decade ago and I've done a tremendous amount of work. There's always work to be done. And I know for a long time, I kind of developed the mindset or the perspective. I have to fix me first and then I can show up as who I want to be in a relationship. For all of those individuals out there who are single, they're struggling, they're you know trying to heal, but do want to pursue a relationship, what is your advice to them? Mm. Well, you know, I mean, I think that it's kind of like, it's both, you know, like to some extent, yes, you want to work on yourself before getting into a relationship, but it's not like you have to wait until you become this perfect idealized version of you because this journey of transformation and of personal evolution, it's a lifelong one. So what I really recommend for people is that you just simply seek out and make yourself a vibrational match for a partner who's just doing the work too. You know, because if you're doing the work alongside a partner, you don't need to have it all figured out and neither do they. You just know that you're both moving in the same direction, which will make it so that you continue to be a vibrational match as time goes on. Right. And I feel like that's not something that we hear enough of. I know for myself, I wasn't really even introduced to that concept until I, you know, learned about Dr. Nicole LaPera and her work. And she talks quite frequently about how you can be in the healing process and still be able to be in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important that we, you know, again, bring these kind of things up to normalize, hey, if you're seeking a relationship, but you're still doing work on you, you don't have to completely abandon the idea of getting involved or pursue, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. I know for myself, yeah. I put walls up, walls. Nope, I got to heal first. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm damaged. You, I'm, ooh, I'm toxic. You don't want to get near me. So Right. And from that energy, of course, you won't meet anybody. Those are, are energetic barriers. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I think I could talk to you forever and ever and ever. You have such great energy and you're absolutely gorgeous. So oh, um, it's a pleasure to um, spend my late morning, early afternoon for you together. Um, one more quick question, if I can squeeze it in, because I know for me, this was one that was a real challenge and I feel most people probably struggle with it. The inner critic. How do we shut that up? <laughs> it is talk about a journey right you know the inner critic is really a part of us and and i don't think it will ever fully cease to exist because it's part of the human experience that you know we experience you know we experience both we can experience the negative self-talk and the positive self-talk but the most important oh, <laughs> Sorry, almost okay. knocked over my whole setup here. The most important part of getting the inner critic under control is to notice when the inner critic is talking to you and then choose to manually override it. So for example, if, um, I don't know, let's just say before this podcast, I was thinking thoughts such as, I'm not gonna do a good job. I just know I'm gonna say something crazy. I always do this, like, you know, whatever it is, just something that's not very kind. If I notice that I'm doing it by practicing awareness, I can then say, all right, this isn't what I want to be hearing. What would I prefer? What would feel better to me in this moment? And then you reach for the thought that feels better. And in some moments, it's going to be something that you've kind of um, pre-selected. Like I have certain affirmations that I'll insert in moments where my, my harsh inner critic is coming at me. But in some moments, it's just as simple as no, you got this. You're going to do great and you just tell yourself what you need to hear. Because we already know what we need to hear, we just don't think to, to give it to ourselves. Right, yeah. I, I thank you for sharing that. I had a moment for myself just a couple of weeks ago where I truly was able to celebrate the inner critic. Um, I did this crazy thing and I participated in a reality TV show called Dodgeball Thunderdome. And so I got myself involved in this, not really 
knowing what I was stepping into. So I showed up to the set. It was outside in the desert. It was freaking an obstacle course, like super hard. So I spend the day, I go through this thing. I mean, I took a beating, a beating. And so at the end of the long day, I get in my car to drive home. And the first thing I say to myself was, oh my gosh, Heather, I am so proud of you. That was amazing. I cannot even believe that you showed up to do that. Like, holy shit, you rock. The old version of me would have been like, I am so humiliated and embarrassed. I cannot believe that you even put yourself into this situation. You weren't prepared enough. You should have trained, blah, 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 blah. Didn't even creep in. And I remember after having that thought, I like stopped. And then I was like, turned on the music. I was like, wow, this is monumental. This, this is a celebratory moment of all the work I have done for decades. And now that is your it. new frequency. Yes. And now I get to share it with freaking national TV on Discovery Channel. So, oh my God. That's yeah. so cool. Congratulations yeah. all around Thank for you. that. Yeah. It was funny. It aired last Wednesday and I had so many people messaging me going, oh my gosh, that looked so hard. You took it like a champ. That's <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> so, um, I think it's important that we really try to embrace the ability to celebrate those small wins. When we do have those moments of awareness, we have to call them out. We have to celebrate them, call our girlfriend, call our mom, you know, whoever, and just cheer and celebrate. Yeah. And you know, the moment you just described that was, that happened for you naturally, which is really the result of, I'm sure all of the hard work that you've been doing, but let's just say you didn't get there naturally in that moment with awareness, you could have chose to insert in those, those same things that you said to yourself and it would have a similar effect. That's beautiful. Thank you. Well, I'm so appreciative of you and your time, your genius, you're leading such beautiful work. You're changing the world one person at a time, literally contributing to raising the vibration of the collective. So thank you for what you're doing because we need you. We need thank you. Thank you so much. So Christina, tell the listeners, where can they find you? <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at your new frequency. And what kind of things do you have going on for the audience? Do you have any, um, any special things happening? Yeah. So, uh, about a month ago, I released my first virtual course. It's called a crash course in emotional mastery. It's a five day self-directed program. You do it at your own pace and I'm proud to be able to offer it at a super reasonable price. Um, so if that is of interest to you, it covers a lot of what we covered today in this talk. Um, you can find all those details also on my Instagram at the link in my bio. Perfect. And who is this course for? Who's the person? The person is anybody who wants to experience more joy. Anybody who wants to figure out how to really feel their feelings fully without getting stuck in them, without getting bogged down by them. And anybody who wants to just live life fully. That's beautiful. I don't think there's anybody out there who could deny that that's what they truly desire. So you guys head over to your new frequency, check out the new program, make sure you give her a follow. You will not regret it. Thanks for joining us on the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Make sure you leave a review and let me know what you think. I love reading your feedback. Come hang out with me on Instagram at Heather Duranja. And don't forget to take a screenshot that you're listening to the podcast and tag me. I love to share it. See you on the next episode.